We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This week... On the Chicago Bears review, with the hated Lions preview over with, we now move on to an even more hated rival, with the perennial division champion, but last year's second place finisher in the Green Bay Packers. Can the Pack get their crown back, or was last year the start of a decline? Evan Weston from Acme Packing Company joins us for the NFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears review. As we are in the month of the season, the training camp kicks off and then in August gives birth to a preseason and we have our bouncing baby season in September. We get ever so close to the season actually beginning. We are closing the book or close to anyway. We're we're at the we're at the middle child of our three NFC North babies, the Green Bay Packers, episode number 12 of 13 before we finally finish things up with the chicago bears what's going on everybody larry d back part two of our nfc north preview and in a few moments we'll have evan western from acme packing company from sb nation on with us again to talk about the green bay packers and um you know it's uh i hope everyone had a good fourth of july i think that i even said that last time because we talked to jeremy on the fifth uh, of July um you know it's it's a crazy world we live in kids and it just seems like uh some people are hell-bent on destroying it uh no matter what um you know I'm not gonna bother you guys with any of the thought it's just you know it's it's tragic what's going on everywhere you know the police and then how some people uh respond to it um regardless of what that cop did um the way that the people in Dallas, or the shooters in Dallas, I should say, what they did, their motives and everything, is not going to do. You know, is that supposed to make the cops less paranoid about approaching people in, in cars now? I mean, it's it's just going to make things worse. It's 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 going to get uglier before it gets better. And I don't know why I'm talking about this, but you know, maybe because that's all anybody's talking about these days. But let's talk about happier things, like the NFL season getting closer. Uh, I just uh, saw a. Uh, a meme online it was Robbie Gold standing there wearing his number nine saying that we've only got nine more Sundays until NFL football kicks off so there you go 61 days something like that uh, before you know the Bears and the Texans kick things off in Reliant Stadium down there in uh, yeah I think it's still called Reliant Stadium 
I don't care. It's still, you know, like I'm from the Chicagoland area. I, I grew up where one of the, the big arena in the area outside of town uh, in, in Rosemont, Illinois, when I was growing up, was called the Rosemont Horizon. It's now, it's been rebranded and, and purchased and named the Allstate Arena. It will always be the Rosemont Horizon. I don't care what anybody says. I tell somebody, yeah, I'm going to see Kiss at the Rosemont Horizon. Don't you mean Allstate Arena? No, I mean the Allstate, I mean the, uh, the Rosemont Horizon. That's what I mean. So just like uh, there's no such thing as the Willis Tower, it's the Sears Tower. It will always be the Sears Tower. So they can change the name of that thing a thousand times. It will be the Sears Tower in Chicago, regardless of who owns it or what they've named it this time. It's the Sears Tower, so go to hell. Anyway, um, you know, just um, one little bit of news um, that I had to sh- that I want to share with you guys, and it, I think it's it's one of those things like maybe it's for the better in any way because um, the the news is here we are today is the tenth. Uh, Sunday, July the 10th, I talked to Evan Western a couple of days back, so the interview's been in the can for a couple of days, but um, here we are on the 10th, the deadline is the 15th for franchise players to reach deals with their teams, or reach long-term deals with their teams, and the headline for the last couple of days has been either that Alshon Jeffrey isn't confident that a deal's going to get done, or just a general piece saying that Alshon and the Bears aren't close on a long-term deal, which means that he has already signed his tender, so he is in, he is on board to make his $14 million, uh, this season and then is uh, set to be a free agent after uh, 2016. Now, in some cases, this is a disappointment. The Bears weren't able to lock him down. They weren't able to, you know, come to an agreement uh, with Alshon. But, you know, the silver lining, he's already signed on to be the franchise player. He's going to get his guaranteed money uh, this season. Some people think this is the best case scenario. Our good friend Ron Rugg from Football is America, he is a huge advocate for making Jeffrey earn the long-term deal. And I can definitely see the points to that. I think that we even talked about this in the, at the year in review show that that probably is the best term, the best, uh, best case scenario is that we don't we you know we we didn't get a full season out of Jeffrey but when we did have him last year he was the best player on the field most of the time which is what people that are saying you know they if we don't have a long term deal we're making a huge mistake well we are maybe we are maybe we aren't but Jeffrey this past season wasn't the only time Jeffrey's had problems with injuries his rookie season he missed a rake, a big chunk of his rookie season because he was injured he you know he had a leg injury then he broke his hand he was in and out of the lineup his rookie year 2013 2014 those are his pro bowl crazy number years and then 2015 his contract year when it was supposed to you know nut up or shut up when he was on the field, he nutted up, but he was shutting up most of the time because he was injured with some kind of soft tissue, calf injury, you know, whatever uh, the case may be. So, you know, I pref- I would prefer the Bears sign him to a long-term deal, but we got him on the franchise deal, and this is probably going to work out better for everyone involved because then the Bears, we get Alshon, hopefully he stays healthy, and then we get another year to figure out whether or not we want to keep him around, and we also get a year of Kevin White on the field because that's I think that may, may more than anything may have contributed to the fact that, um, you know, um, uh, that the Bear, A, that the Bears franchised um, 
Alshon, because we don't know what we have in Kevin White, and we get a year with him healthy out there doing his thing, seeing if he is worthy, if he's going to live up to his number seven overall pick draft status, if he is the freak that everyone thought he was coming out of West Virginia, you know, maybe a year from now we're, we're okay, fine. Alshon, thanks, but, uh, you know, go seek your millions elsewhere. Or is it, you know, this is the best wide receiver tandem in, in football. We need to keep them together, you know, like we were a few years removed when Marshall and Jeffrey were together in, in Chicago. So maybe it, uh, you know, I think this is probably the best case scenario. Alshon's got another full year to prove himself, to show that he can stay healthy, not just to the Bears, but to the rest of the NFL. You think if he comes out and has his eight games of production but has to sit out another eight games because of injury, that there are going to be teams lining I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. ...up to pay him $12, 14 $15 million a season? No, he's going to have to take like a mid-level deal or, you know, or God forbid, a one-year deal with somebody to prove uh, that he's worthy of the money. And uh, right now he's going to get top, uh, you know, top 10, top five money, whatever franchise tag is, to play for the Bears this season and show the Bears or show the rest of the NFL he's worthy of top wide receiver uh, money going into 2017 so right now uh friday the 15th being the deadline it's not looking good for the two teams to uh to get a deal done if it does i wouldn't hate it you know but right now as we're getting closer i'm leaning more towards the let alshon play on the franchise tag in 2016 he's guaranteed his 14 and a half million this season and then we'll figure it out when the season ends you know we'll because we'll know what we have in Kevin White we'll know if Alshon was healthy and productive on the field and you know honestly I think that having Kevin White's going to help him out so much more because it'll make him more productive because he his two biggest years in production were the years that Marshall was still on the team you know he got the attention because people were trying to double team Marshall or will it work the other way around will Kevin White be the more productive of the two because they're double teaming and you know uh you know leaning more towards uh, Jeffrey because we know 
what a weapon and a target he is, will Kevin White be the beneficiary of the, of the attention that Alshon Jeffrey gets? And maybe the Bears uh, think we don't need him because we got Kevin White. So lots of questions to be answered when that all comes around. But uh, five days from now, uh, on the 15th, We'll know whether or not the Bears and Jeffrey reached a long-term deal and if Jeffrey's just going to play on the franchise tag uh, in 2016. So by the time we talk to Chris Gates this weekend on the 16th, we'll have an answer to that question. Is Jeffrey just going to play on the franchise tag or is he on a long-term deal that the Bears signed at the last minute a la Matt Forte about three or four years ago? So we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see. Speaking of Chris Gates, like I said, um, you know I haven't told you guys this, but pretty much – you know, I've, I've been I haven't been working. I was unemployed for the longest time. Uh, that's how I was able to bang out all these interviews because I could bend my schedule to to fit anyone else's because I didn't have anything else going on. But, um, you know, Chris Gates, it's a little more difficult with him. Uh, like when I talked to Evan Western, I, I started a new job last week. As a matter of fact, when I talked to Evan Western, he lives in Ohio. He's only an hour ahead. We're able to to make something uh, happen uh, on Thursday night. We got together. We we had our conversation, and that's the interview you're going to be hearing here in just a minute um, with Chris Gates. He's still overseas. He's still in Germany, so he's still seven hours ahead. So uh, with my work schedule and his time difference, it's very difficult to make that happen. Uh, so we're saving it for the uh, weekend, and that's when we'll have our lucky number 13 show with the Vikings to close up the NFC North. And then I finally secured a guest for the uh, Bears preview. It is um, Brian Perez from BearsWire.com is uh, going to be on the show. I, I believe uh, BearsWire, there are a lot of, you know, BearsWire, EaglesWire, that, that kind of thing. Uh, basically, like um, our good friend Chris Schwartz, uh, from uh, G uh, Men HQ, uh, fan sided is with SI. Um, Bears Wire is with USA Today. So we will be having him on the show uh, after we talk to uh, Chris Gates, and he'll be the one that helps us get through the Bears preview. And that will wrap us up before training camp. And then we're going to take a little break from the Bears preview show to week one of the of the preseason when the Bears play the Broncos on August 11th. So that weekend, the 12th, the 13th, is when that first um, week one preseason review episode will come out, and that will basically be the beginning of the 2016 season because from there, we're not stopping until January, you know, and hopefully into February, knock on wood. But uh, Brian Perez will be our guest for the Bears preview show from BearsWire.com. Um, you know, I've been following him on a while, uh, for a while on Twitter, reading his articles online. Really is, uh, you know, great knowledgeable. And, um, you know, got, I also got back to me really, really fast, too. So uh, I think he's excited to be on the show. We're excited to have him uh, to do our Bears preview. And that will lock everything up there for us to uh, be able to, to get 14 of 14 on this journey. So, um Anyway, we're here to talk about the Packers and preview our most hated rival. Uh, they had a crazy year in 2015, such an up and down year, uh, crazy finish to the season with that game in Arizona, and uh, you know the the series that they had with Detroit. We talked about that a lot with Jeremy Reisman. We talk about it here on the other side uh, with Evan Western. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and preview these 2016 Packers with our good friend Evan Western from Acme Packing Company. Relax, don't do it. When you want to go to it, relax, don't do it, when you want to come, relax, don't do it, 
As we keep the ball rolling with the NFC North, we get to part two, which brings us to our arch nemesis, the Green Bay Packers. And with us to talk about these, I was going to say beloved, but that's not true at all. The Green Bay Packers, Evan Western from Acme Packing Company on SB Nation. Evan, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure. So 2015... um, is was one for the books as far as like it's a it's kind of a season that's going to live in in infamy in one way or another for you guys that crazy you know you get off to this crazy 6-0 and start then you go on that the, the, you know, like the three-game losing streak and on en route to like a four and six finish there you know wh- what kind of led to that to that that four and six stretch there where it just seemed like the Packers really couldn't get any momentum going to finish out the year yeah, it was a it was a screwy season, like like you said, and I think the biggest the biggest re- reason for for those kind of tale of two seasons was late in that six game winning streak. Teams kind of figured out that oh crap, with no Jordy Nelson on the field, the Packers aren't really threatening the deep middle of the field, and they don't have receivers who can get a whole lot of separation on their own. So we're gonna sit back in, or we're gonna we're gonna challenge those receivers at the line rather. Uh, put them, you know, get in, sit in press man coverage, um, you know, bump them off the line, sit in a one safety look, and basically force those receivers to to beat the coverage. And once they started doing that, the the Packers receivers, who who also besides Nelson, who obviously was lost for the year, but the other players were banged up, um, and they just couldn't really get that separation that that they needed um, for Aaron Rodgers to get the ball to him. And so that once they kind of that that kind of tipped him off, then you kind of had the blueprint set for the rest of the season. All right, this is how you got to play defense against the Packers this year. And uh, the, the teams down the stretch did a, did a very good job of doing that. And uh, I think that was, that was kind of the turning point for, um, you know, for, that, for the season was that a week four, week five or so when teams kind of figured that out. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely just look at the two games that the, uh, that the Bears and Packers played against each other. You know the, the the pack put up you know thirty plus points and and you know Rodgers pretty much had his way with the defense week one, which we all kind of thought was going to happen anyway, considering the situation the Bears are kind of walking into there. But fast forward to Thanksgiving night, and it's a completely different story, especially on the defensive side for the Bears. Now, granted, it had been you know eleven weeks and they had all that time to to gel and figure things out and improve, but you know we only uh, gave up. What was the score again? 13 points yep. uh, to the Packers in that game as opposed to 31 uh, in the week one uh, matchup. And, and, and you're right. Now, the thing about it, like, you know, Tracy Porter and Cal Fuller were a lot tighter in their, in their coverage and challenging at the line of scrimmage against uh, Adams and, uh, and the other receivers out there. And uh, it was a big difference from week one to week 12 uh, when the two teams were uh, met again. Yeah, for sure, and and I think, like I said, it the 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 receiving core was really depleted all all year long. Um, obviously, Nelson going down hurt, but Randall Cobb suffered a uh, a injury to his AC joint in one of the last preseason games, and I feel like people forget that a little bit. And and he he was limited all year long. I think um, I, I don't think that injury gets enough attention uh, for for kind of contributing to the season that he had. And then Devontae Adams had some some serious ankle issues um, all season long that he dealt with, and he didn't really start getting healthy until maybe the last week or two of the season. Um, he had a nice game against Washington in the the wild card round, but then um, went and tore his MCL in that game, and then was out for the 
for the final playoff game in Arizona. So he was banged up all year long. Um, there's he, He's a fascinating guy, too, among Packers fans, because you've got some of the people who I tend to fall in the camp of defending him a little bit because of the injury that he had last year. And then you got other people who are just completely convinced that he can't play and he doesn't deserve a spot on the roster. So, so that's fascinating. Um, but then over those first five, six games, you also had a rookie Ty Montgomery stepping up a little bit and, and showing that he deserves to, to be a little bit more of a featured player in the offense. And then he goes down with an injury and he's out for the rest of the year. So, you know, by the, by the end of that Cardinals game in the playoffs, um, when Cobb goes out again, you're down to a trio of James Jones, Jeff Janis, Jared Aberderis as your only three receivers on the roster. And that's just not a recipe for, <laughs> for success against a, uh, a defense like Arizona's in a playoff game. So I think uh, ultimately the, the receiving core was, and, and Eddie Lacy to some extent too, which I'm sure we'll get to shortly, but um, yeah, the, the offense was just out of sync all season long. And, and there's, you know, at some point, there's not a whole lot you can do about it. Yeah, I mean, in that that Thanksgiving game was just was just bananas. The whole game, you know, going back and forth uh, like that. The, the Packers were struggling uh, on offense. The Bears exactly weren't, you know, lighting things up either. And the defense really kept them in the game uh, there. And even even despite it all and all the struggles the Packers had, you had four shots from inside the ten. Uh, to you know to take the win and I can't even tell you not even just because it was the Packers but just because it was such a it was such a great game and the way it finished out at the end with the you know the high the high drama and everything the elation that I had when fourth and six did not go through um, yeah that was pretty awesome so um, you know I mean we talked last summer when we had you on the show for the first time how I did not give the Bears a snowball's chance in hell of winning <laughs> On Thursday night, on national television, on Brett Favre Jersey retirement night, and that was the one game we won in the NFC North last year. So I mean, just completely insane. Yeah, it was a it was a weird divisional season for for Green Bay because you look back and all three, you know, they went three and three, and they won the three games on the road, and they got swept at home by the NFC North, which hasn't happened. In, oh my gosh! Yeah, when was the last time that that's happened? I think I, I, we, we looked it up when it happened last season, and I think the last time the Bears, Vikings, and Lions all won in, in Wisconsin was back in like the late 80s. Um, that was also the, the, at the point when Tampa was still in the, or in the division. Right, and in the so Central. I yeah. Think, yeah, and I think Green Bay beat Tampa at home that year. So technically the last time they got swept at home by the NFC North, as I remember it, was back in like the either the 70s or, or earlier than that. So, yeah, it, it was it was a, just a, a bizarre season in, in all sorts of ways, but that one in particular. And and losing to Detroit at home, you know, two weeks before losing to the Bears on Thanksgiving was just as, as heart, well, maybe not just as heartbreaking, but almost as heartbreaking because of the, the winning streak that Green Bay had, had against Detroit and Wisconsin going back to 1991. And so that was a, um, that was a really tough game to swallow as well and it just seemed like in the middle of the season that block you know the Carolina game the Detroit game the Chicago game um, there were all these comeback attempts that just fell you know inches short or you know there, there's a you know you got a chance to, to tie it up or take the lead and, the, and a pass just on fourth down just goes you know out, out, just past the outstretched fingertips of a receiver or something like that and it just seemed like for you know for a month and a half it was nothing but failed comebacks that we just couldn't quite 
you know, finish the job until, of course, you know, we, we got to Detroit after Thanksgiving. <laughs> I mean, fun there. you guys had the absolute craziest series with Detroit last year. You know, just that game where Detroit gave you guys half a dozen chances there in just the last couple of minutes to win the game in Lambeau. You know, you guys score the touchdown. Um, you, you was it? Did you you miss the two pointer? Yeah, had a had a chance to to go for two, and and Adams couldn't haul it in. Right, and so yeah, you go down. They they get the onside kick. It goes off of Calvin Johnson's shoulder. Right. And uh, Demarius Randall picks it up, and and then you go down, and yeah, you set up Crosby for a 52-yard field goal. That something funky happens, and I don't know. If, I, I think it hit. I want to say the ball hit Tim Masthay's finger, the the holder's finger, or something funny on on uh, on the follow through, and and it just kind of duffed it off to the you know to the side, and uh, and yeah, we we I think everybody thought that all right. We're we're still gonna find a way to win this game, and and I know you know all the Lions fans that I talked to are like, oh God, this is how we're gonna blow this game to Green Bay. We're gonna come so close to winning in Wisconsin, and and, and gonna have it ripped out, from, ripped away from us. But uh, yeah, no, we we certainly uh, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory in that game. That's for sure. Well, I mean, it was it was just so nuts. I mean, as you know, if if you're a Lions fan, you're like, yeah. This is perfect. We lose the game when the guy with some of the surest hands in the history of the game can't catch the ball yep. on an onside kick and, you know, set up Mason Crosby who's, you know, pretty automatic and and you know, it then it I mean cuz I thought it was I was watching it when it happened and the field goal looked like it never had a chance but when they showed the replay, no one from Detroit touched the ball. Yep. And it wasn't until actually I, when I talked to Jeremy the other day, he was the one that brought up like they thought it went off the placeholder's opposite hand or something like that. And I was like, well, that makes sense, because when I looked at the replay, I saw it going through hands. Nobody touched that ball, but it died like a duck. It's like something had to have happened to it, you know, because it looked like like Crosby hit it right. But it just it just like like it never had a chance. And it just just it was dead in the water from the moment it was kicked. Yeah, and to Crosby's credit, he didn't blame Maste or anything for it. He uh, he took it on himself and just said that he mishit it. I still think that that it caught a piece of Maste's finger personally, but uh, who knows? You know, it's it's done. Now we can work on you know hopefully starting another twenty five year winning streak at home against one of these games. <laughs> so so you you know the, then the week after or a few days later actually you play the Bears Thursday night happens and then. What was interesting for me after that was on the Acme Packing Company site, the uh, Sky is Falling article that you guys <laughs> did. And, and what I found interesting, I mean, and I give you credit because when I, when I read it, you were the one that sounded like the most level-headed, in my opinion, from what I was reading. Like everyone else thought that, you know, Basically, you just take a stick of dynamite to the season because it's over with. We lost Chicago and Detroit on the road. It's over. That's that's the sign of the apocalypse for for Green Bay. Rodgers is having a, not having a great season. Nobody can catch the ball. McCarthy's got his head up his ass, or you know, with the the pay, play calling or or whatever the situation was. And you know, you were the one that kind of came in and said, "We're still seven and four. If the season ended today, we're still in the playoffs. We still got five games left in the season. It's not. It, it's you know. It's a winnable schedule and and blah 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 blah. What was going on with everybody else that it just like it had to talk everyone off the ledge after that game? Yeah, I, I think the 
you know, I mentioned earlier the comebacks that that kept falling short, and I think that was part of what fed into it was that it's almost easier to lose by you know ten points than it is to lose by two points and have multiple chances to tie it or take the lead. Right. And so I, I I wonder if that was part of the you know part of the the paranoia or the 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 crazy you know feelings that were going on in, in Packers fandom at that point. But no, I, you, you're right. It was basically, all right, shut it down because this team is, you know, can't do anything right at that point. And, um, and I mean, yeah, they were, they were one and four in the last five games at that, at that stretch. So I, I can understand, you know, being a little frustrated and, and kind of, you know, the, the overreaction is, is, standard for for sports fans i think sure sure and absolutely i've i've been writing long enough that i i feel like i've i still get emotional and i still get as as up and down as i used to but it doesn't last as long as it used to before i started writing and so i i i come back down quicker from from the highs i get back up quicker from the lows and i think i'm just um you know I, once i start you know once i get in front of the keyboard i I tend to just t- try to take my emotions out of it and just look at things objectively as much as I can. And uh, I think that's where that came from for me. Well, I mean, you know, you are talking to a guy whose quarterback is is Jay Cutler, <laughs> one of the most polarizing guys in the history of the franchise. I mean, he had his best season as a pro ever last year, yep. and there are still Bear fans counting the seconds until his contract ex- is over with. So, I mean, it's that's that's what you're I mean, I know exactly where you guys are coming from there, having to constantly try to talk people off the ledge when it comes to Jay Cutler and being patient with him. And it's like, guys, he's only had the same offensive coordinator for consecutive seasons. You know, he had Mike Mars for two years. That's it. Everybody else was one and done. You know, he's and again, Adam Gase. Gone. Doyle Loggins, new offensive coordinator. So we'll see how that goes, even though they're pretty much running the same uh, system there. But uh, I definitely know where you guys are coming from there as far as, you know, uh, you know, some people it's it's either the sky is falling or the world is everything is perfect um, with the world. So but, uh, you know, after that, that three week stretch, then you play Detroit on Thursday night again and instead of uh, like you said before snatching defeat from the jaws of victory literally do the opposite there um a lot of people i don't know what your thoughts were on the face mask call and all the controversy that surrounded that but you know there was no contesting that hail mary when it went through i mean that was about as perfect as it can get yeah the the face mask it's funny because i i just did a podcast with some of the nfc north guys from uh from sb nation and that that of course came up because it was hosted by the lions guys and so <laughs> they were they were giving me a whole lot of crap for that one but um the the way i look at that is i i look at the i look at that play and i see devin taylor grazing the front of roger's face mask yeah i don't see him grabbing i don't see you know him him hooking his fingers but there's there's a graze there and there's the slightest little bit of contact and I don't know if Rogers sold it I don't know if you know he just kind of flinched away from it in the direction that the hand was moving sure. but I I understand 100% why it was called um, and and I won't you know I'll I'll just kind of leave it at that uh, as far as the face mask goes but but that throw that that Rogers made and and obviously the that Hail Mary you know was was number 1 on our our countdown of top 10 plays of the Packers season that we did a week or two ago um and and for good reason 
but the the way he not only has to escape the pocket, but buy time for Richard Rodgers, who's certainly the slowest of the Packers' um, receiving weapons, you know, buying time for him to get you know 60 yards downfield, then the way he boxes out on that on that play when he gets to the goal line, um, you know, and 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 perfectly times his jump to to go up and get that football and and the ball almost hitting the rafters at Ford Field. The the whole thing was just incredible. And and I remember, um, you know, my, my girlfriend said to me at halftime, you're still going to watch the end of this game? I'm like, well, of course I'm going to watch this, the end of this game. I'm, I'm going to watch the end of the game regardless of whether or not I have to uh, write a recap for it anyway. But, um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not giving up when it's 20 to nothing at halftime. I saw the Packers come back from a, a worse deficit to Dallas a couple of years ago with Matt Flynn quarterbacking. So, so anything's possible here, but, um, but yeah, I, I definitely woke her up and probably woke some of our neighbors up when, uh, when that, when Rogers came down with that ball in the end zone. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I mean, I, I remember that day, uh, pretty well. I came home, uh, from work and I went and I wasn't feeling well. I had a headache or whatever. And I laid down and, and when I woke up about an hour or so, later um i picked up my phone and i was getting the bleacher report notifications about you know lions up 13 to nothing like the 20 to nothing and i'm like what the hell is going on with detroit and green bay is like man they really got the packers number this year so i get up and i start watching it and the comeback starts to go through and then of course you know with everything at the end there i was like dude i cannot believe detroit's about to sweep green bay and then everything went down the way it did and i was like that's about as crazy a finish to a game i've seen in in a long time the the penalty and the controversy surrounding that and then you know rogers having to heave the ball about 70 yards in the air just to get it down there and uh you know detroit really blew it with the with the helmet like nobody touched rogers he just kind of you know ran to about the 10 and then just kind of moonwalked his way backwards into the end zone and it was it was like Rodgers was throwing the ball straight to him the whole time because that's basically how the play went down you know like he was just yeah. throwing it right there to him yeah and it was it was funny watching uh looking at the play afterwards again and seeing how the Lions lined up because I know that was a big deal about you know Jim Caldwell was asked afterwards well why did you put two guys at like the 40 yard line um instead of having everybody go to the end zone and and his answer was was basically that we didn't think they were going to try a hail mary from the other forty yard line, and they thought they were uh, they were going to be setting up for another lateral play. Sure. So um, I think that that might have been uh, Caldwell and and his coaches underestimating what Rodgers can actually do with that arm. Which I don't know why you would ever do that, but um, yeah, that that was that was one of the the fascinating parts of that play to me was just you know, looking at how the Lions lined up and, and trying to make sense of it and, and just being completely unable to do so. And then have you seen the All or Nothing series on Amazon? You know, I haven't yet. Um, I, I did hear that Dwight Freeney was uh, was making some comments about the, the matchups against the Packers um, in that first game when, when David Bakhtiari was out, and we had a little little piece on that from, uh, from my guy Jason earlier this week. But... Um, yeah, unfortunately, I haven't had a chance to to catch any of that yet. Yeah, in in episode, I believe it was episode two, they um, they talk about um, maybe it was later on in the series, but at some point they talk about the hail mary uh, okay. at Detroit, and I believe it was the defensive coordinator telling his players what not to do. 
<laughs> which of course is ironic because you fast forward to the wild card or the divisional round. Yep. The, you know, uh, only about three weeks removed from getting absolutely thrashed in Arizona. I mean, that game was it was a massacre. I mean, oh, that's God. the eight eight or nine sacks in that game. You had to. You, they ended up pulling Rodgers at one point, didn't they, just to yeah. get him out of there alive? And then you go down there in Arizona and give credit to the Cardinals as far as behind the scenes was concerned. They told those guys. This is not the same team that you faced three weeks ago. If you think all you have to do is show up and you're going to win the game automatically, you're wrong. And everything going down the way it did, and then Rodgers again, that that just that two play sequence, yep. you know, to go from you know fourth and six, you know, at like only two yard line or whatever it was, to get like a 40, 50 yard play. Like how the hell did he get behind everybody? First of all, he's wide open. Thankfully, they stop him, and then on the next play, the Hail Mary to, to send the game into overtime, just like twice in one year. What are the odds? Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous. And, and, and yeah, it really, it was three times with that one on fourth down, too, because yeah. the way he had to roll out and uh, you know off to his left side and, and make that throw across his body and, and hitting Jeff Janis just on a dime perfectly in stride, too. It, the, the things that Rodgers can do with the football when he's on the move is what really makes him the most dangerous quarterback in the NFL, as far as I'm concerned. Um, nobody else can can make those kinds of throws on the run, especially moving to the left to his offside that that he can. And um, I mean, yeah, he did it twice, you know, twice in that sequence on that one drive. And um, it, it was that that was the game where we were down to those the three guys, Janice Eberdaris and and James Jones. After you know, Randall Cobb made that great catch and busted his lung in a battery pack for the, the microphone and uh, and was out for the rest of the game. And so the fact that we were able to come back and, and, and do what we did in the second half with a skeleton crew of receivers, basically, um, I think that kind of, that speaks to the, the heart of that team. And, and obviously, you know, it, it didn't end up, uh, you know, coming out with a win, but the fact that they were able to battle back and even send it to overtime at all was just astounding. Well, considering the way that they they absolutely embarrassed uh, Arizona in the NFC Championship game, are are you are you a little happy that you lost that game in the divisional round as opposed to watching them get butchered in Carolina? If that's how the Panthers were going to play there, Carolina would have would have ran roughshod through just about anybody in the NFC. I think in in that game, um, you know, we had seen them earlier in the season, and that was again one of those where a comeback fell short, but. You know that that was another one where Carolina was out to a real big lead by halftime, and it took a, a ridiculous effort in the second half to even make it close. So certainly Carolina was the the class of the NFC last year. Um, I don't know if it necessarily made it easier to take that. Uh, you know that we blew it in overtime the way we did, but um, yeah, it was it it was better. It, it feels better now looking back on it to have gone down swinging than. Um, to just get taken to the woodshed yeah. in in the championship game like it is likely that we would have. Yeah, no, I definitely understand that. So as far as the offseason is concerned, per the usual with the Green Bay Packers, not a lot going on there. Um, the two, we did sign two free agents. There were two? I only, were I only two. knew about Jared Cook. Yeah, there were two. There was there was Cook, and then there was uh, Laurenti McRae. He was a reserve reserve outside linebacker for for Denver. He got like a hundred snaps last year or something on on defense. So he counts. He counts. He just you know might not have a huge impact. Right, right. So you, if if you blink, you'll miss him on special teams, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, right. most likely. 
So, but you did go out and get Jared Cook and kind of added him uh, into the foray uh, on offense. So, so what is it that Jared Cook brings to the table? That it, like, what is he adding to what Richard Rodgers do, does for you guys? So, so Cook and Rodgers are actually going to be really good complements to each other. They have very, very different skill sets, and I think you're going to see Cook be the guy between the twenties, stretching the field deep down the seam. He's still, he's still. You know, big, fast, six five. You know, I think he, you know, he ran a four five five forty. I think at the combine back when he was coming out of college. So he's got, you know, he's a great athlete for a tight end. Um, you know, with with his size and stature, um, the hands are suspect, and they have been ever since he came into the league. And so that that's going to be the the key is is you know when Rogers puts the ball on his hands, he's got to actually catch the damn ball. But um, it's it's a great compliment to Rodgers because Rodgers is as sure-handed a, a receiver as they come. Um, he's not very athletic. He's not a um, he's certainly not a burner. He's not a shifty guy, and so Rodgers is going to be the guy that um, he, he'll probably do most of the blocking, and he'll come in in the red zone, and he's he's become a very very good red zone target. Um, he's got a great uh, concept of body positioning and and how to. Um, how to shield defenders, and it seems like he's made in, in two or three years. It seems like he's caught about twenty touchdowns just in the red zone, and so you're going to see him a lot down close to the goal line. And then Cooks going to be the guy trying to stretch the field, um, trying to attack the seam in, in the middle of the defense. Now the other kind of big thing, or at least as far as you know what I could see that was going on. Uh, with Green Bay, like I was, you know, we kind of talked about it momentarily before the show. Um, was that BJ Raji is taking a leave of absence? I don't wouldn't think he like flat out called it retirement. Like he he didn't say he wasn't coming back. I mean, if actually even think he did say he might come back or something, but he's gone. And how does that impact the defense? Yeah, I think the the word that he used was a hiatus. Hiatus, and, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's apparently got a lot of family stuff going on that he wants to deal with, and he's made you know a decent a decent amount of money in his career so far, and so yeah, it, it certainly leaves a a big hole in the middle of the defense. But um, the Packers addressed that hole right off the bat in the first round of the draft with Kenny Clark, the defensive tackle from UCLA. Uh huh. And Clark's going to be an, an interesting guy because. He can project just about anywhere on a three-man line. He can play on the nose, which is where he played most of the time at UCLA. He could uh, move out to five technique in a pinch, where you're probably going to see uh, Latroy Guyon get a lot of the snaps at, at five tech uh, when they go into the base defense. And you can also line him up at either a one tech or a three tech and have him rush the passer from a sub uh, a sub package, your nickel or your dime package. Um, and you know you put him out there with Mike Daniels, and and that's a pretty solid interior rushing tandem. So I, I think with especially with how much the Packers use those sub packages, you're going to see him playing a lot of one and three tech, um, and being able to just kind of get after the passer. But um, but yeah, he he's going to be the guy I probably called upon pretty early to to make an impact as as a rookie, which is something the Packers usually don't do. They like to bring their guys along fairly slowly if they can, but. Um, I think you'll see uh, you'll see Clark being the main guy to to try to uh, fill in for a lot of Raji's snaps that the that the defense will be missing this year. So we move in, in into the draft uh, with that, and um, let's talk about how you guys stole our offensive tackle uh, in the <laughs> second round. There, um, you made a trade um, with uh, Indianapolis 
to jump one spot ahead of the Bears. I think we were at 41. We traded with Buffalo. We're back at 49. And then you trade from, what, like 60 or something like that, 57 or something, to, to, to trade up to 48, and you take Jason Spriggs, the offensive tackle, from from indiana uh just before the bears were picked at 49 and then of course the bears traded back again which told me that's who they were after and since the player that they wanted was gone let's see if we can't get some picks and 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 you know regroup later on uh in the round you know you guys are expecting things from spriggs if not this year then next year when one of your free agent offensive linemen may or may not be on the team anymore yeah, I think that's the the key with Spriggs is he's probably looked at as in, in 2016 he's an injury insurance guy. He's somebody that they look at that can step in at left tackle or right tackle in a pinch if if either Bakhtiari or Balaga have to miss some time with some injuries and be capable and and do a, a pretty good job at at either of those positions uh, for for a couple of games at a time. And then next year in 2017 is when I think you're going to look at him as as almost almost certainly uh, a guy in line to start uh, if, if one of the free agent linemen end up leaving in, in free agency. So you've got four of the Packers' six top six linemen right now are going to be free agents after this season, which is terrifying. Yeah. But, uh, so that's, that's David Bakhtiari, the left tackle, Josh Sitton, the left guard, TJ Lang, the right guard, and then J.C. Treader, who's been the backup center, who, was the, who kicked out to left tackle, uh, for the playoff game against Washington when they finally figured out somebody who could play out there when Bakhtiari was hurt. Um, and he's just kind of your your general all-around, can play all five positions, backup uh, lineman guy. So I, I think the way that it's going to end up shaking out, and, and this is just my gut feeling, is that Bakhtiari is going to end up leaving in free agency because somebody's going to be willing to pay him you know, top top half, top 10, top 15 left tackle money. Bears. Because, because <laughs> there you go. Um, because of his ability to pass protect. Um, that's always been his strength and ever since he came into the league. He's a very good pass protector, and um, and you know, teams will pay a premium for that even if um, he's an average run blocker. So I, I think you're going to see him probably leaving. I think Lang is probably the guy who gets um, who gets the first deal uh, from the Packers to stick around for a couple of years. He's a little bit younger than Sitton. He's had a, a few uh, fewer injury issues than Sitton has, and if anything, he's he's got less tread or more tread left on his tires, I think, than Sitton does. Um, and so I, I think he's he's still on the upswing. He he projects a little better, so you'll probably see him coming back. But anyway, back to Spriggs. I, I think you'll see him taken over as the starter at left tackle in 2017 uh, if if Bakhtiari does depart. So Ted Thompson is known for for finding these late round uh, gems. So anyone else in the class that that kind of fits that bill, somebody you guys are looking to be that guy that uh, that comes in and and does something special in his rookie year, if if only in in bits and pieces. I think the guy you look at in his first year has got to be Blake Martinez, the inside linebacker out of Stanford. Uh, he was the first of our, our our two fourth round picks. And he was the best-rated coverage linebacker in the entire country last year by Pro Football Focus. And that's exactly the role that the Packers need to fill out of an inside linebacker at this point. They've got a couple of run-stuffers in Jake Ryan and, and Sam Barrington. Um, you know, the, they'll be set on base downs, but when you need to bring somebody out to, to cover running backs in the flat, to cover tight ends once in a while, 
Um, Mart- Martinez, I think, is going to be that guy. He's going to be that third option at inside linebacker, and uh, you're going to see him log a, a pretty significant number of snaps um, in in sub packages and on passing downs. And a side note on Martinez, I was thrilled this year. I, I, I've been to the, I've had a chance to go to the scouting combine the last two years, and I was bummed out because in 2015, um, none of the guys that I profiled during the combine were drafted by the Packers, and I was. I was bummed out about that, but I hit on Martinez this year. I got a chance to talk to him for probably 15 minutes, and, and he's a really cool guy, a really interesting guy. Um, he's got a, an, an extraordinarily strict diet that he, uh, that he subscribes to, so um, it was funny. He actually walked up to, uh, to, the, to the interview table. He was like rubbing his teeth. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I've got chocolate on my teeth, and then he was really quick to correct himself. He's like, well, Hold on, it's from a protein bar. It's not from a candy bar. I need to make sure to get that straight right, right off the bat, because uh, he, he's he's very staunchly like no sweets, no drinking, no soda, no nothing. So it was uh, he's clearly a, a very intelligent player. Um, you'll probably see him on special teams as well a little bit, but um, yeah, I think certainly the the other other players in the class have a chance to contribute in the next couple of years. But if any of them are going to make an impact in their rookie year this year, it's going to be Martinez. So having somebody that like Martinez that can help out because I because when I was reading uh, you know about Clay Matthews moving back to the outside to be the pass rusher that he was in the first few years uh, of his career to kind of getting back to his bread and butter uh, if you will one of the the knocks on him being an inside linebacker was his coverage ability so having a Blake Martinez on the team and moving Clay Matthews. Uh, back to the outside, you know, is that met with the same elation as as we Bear fans are about Kyle Long moving back inside to guard? Yeah, I think uh, the the hype is definitely getting there on Martinez, and and certainly everybody's pretty pretty excited to see uh, to see Matthews back rushing the passer full time. So I definitely think it's uh, overall the way the situation has been handled this year is one that. Uh, that Packer fans in general have been pretty satisfied with. I know there were a lot of people who were really, really hoping for a guy like Reggie Ragland in the first round. Um, you know, even when uh, even when he started falling on draft day, I was I got caught up and swept up in the Miles Jack madness because he was still there at 27. And I'm like, oh my god, we've got to get. You know, he's that perfect coverage linebacker. But um, the I, I think the big reason they passed on him was the the fact that the Packers medical staff is is extremely conservative with any sort of lingering injuries and and that was probably a a big factor there but um but yeah all, all in all i think everybody's pretty well on board with the way they've handled it and um and yeah i think martinez is is a perfect fit in the packers defense and um a perfect fit for the skill set that they needed to add to that group yeah so i mean it was kind of like with with the signing of bobby massey and and kyle long moving in to right guard it was like we got better at two positions with one move you know yep. that kind of thing, and so it kind of feels like that's that's almost the same thing. You're you're getting you're getting a guy back to what he did best, and still able to improve on on the position by moving him out of it. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. So yeah, Clay can go back to setting the edge against the run game, which he does so, so well, and and chasing down from the backside, and then um, yeah, just pin, pinning his ears back and getting to the quarterback. So Mike McCarthy made a, made quite a bit, well, not quite a bit, but he did openly talk about Eddie Lacy's weight uh, throughout the season, and it's been kind of like the big off-season story about Eddie Lacy and the, the P90X, and he has lost the weight, and he looks he's looking a lot better uh, and everything. 
Um, how much weight did he lose? And and uh, you know, does does it is it noticeable on a guy like him? Yeah, I was up at minicamp a couple weeks ago, and he definitely looks slimmer now than he did, um, you know, mid season, late last season. That that much is for sure. Because he had a little uh, uh, muffin top going there in the Thanksgiving game. Yeah, he he'll be the first to admit that he he got off track a little bit last year, and and that that affected his game. Now the the rumors were that he was playing as high as the the low to mid two sixties by the end of last season, which at five eleven is is not what you're looking for, um, especially from a guy like Lacey, who's you know everybody thinks of him as a as a power back, but his agility and his quick feet are one of the things that really make him so effective. That spin move that he's got, um, he's got a nice little a little shake and juke too. So at, at that weight, he just didn't have that that agility um, in, in his arsenal anymore, and I think that's what really hurt him. So the the word now is he's down into the 240s, maybe mid-240s or so. Um, I don't know that they necessarily have a target weight that they want him to get to. I think that, you know, in general, you'd probably like to see him down around 240, but uh, I think they're just, in general, more, more concerned about um, body composition and, you know, how that weight is distributed. Uh, than than necessarily a number, but I, I would certainly say you know he's probably dropped about 15 pounds, if not maybe a little bit more. But the um, just kind of the general reshaping of of that body is is what he's really focused on, and um, and what I think the Packers are looking for out of him. So, um, Mike McCarthy is he back to taking over play calling again, or is Tom Clements going to do it, or even Edgar Bennett, who was actually listed as the offensive? coordinator when when did he take the the calling the play calling reins back that was right before i think it was right or it was either right before or right after the hail mary game in detroit i want to say it was actually right after that game um was when he decided that all right this isn't working i need to get back to calling the plays um you know the experiment has failed and and it's time to to move on and this offseason he's basically said you know what we tried it didn't really work, and so I'm going to go back to calling the plays again. And to it, to his credit, what I think he's doing instead is he's um, looking for he, he's got more guys giving input and um, uh, giving him you know suggestions and running the stats and things on game situational stuff. So you know when to go for two, when to go go for it on fourth down, those sorts of things that he kind of admitted were part of the reason he wanted to. Um, to give up play calling in the first place was so he could focus on more of the game management stuff. And he's sort of outsourcing some of those things to some other people. He's still going to make the final calls, but um, he's going to have you know some subordinates work on more of those um, those situational things and um, and then you know advise them accordingly so so he can kind of have people focusing on that while he's actually still still doing the play calling. But yeah, McCarthy's definitely calling plays again. Um, he'll he'll be calling them throughout 2016. I I don't see him giving up play calling anytime anytime soon after the way it went down last year. So as we start to wrap things up here, let's talk about the schedule here for a second. Now we touched on it briefly before we got started, and just how it is a complete like I don't think I can remember a time where I've seen such a look it, honestly it looks like it was thrown together it, do, it does not look like somebody spent weeks uh like they like they like the document you know peter king wrote that 
that column for for the Monday morning quarterback about the process that they went through to create the schedule. It looks like they just threw a dartboard. You know, they had the games for the for the Packers and they threw darts at a dartboard and that's how the schedule came out. You start off with two road games at Jacksonville, at Minnesota, then home for Detroit, then a bye week, week four, which I'm sure you guys are absolutely thrilled about. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you do three more home games after the bye, which means that after the road game on September 18th, uh, Green Bay doesn't go back out onto the road until October 30th. So a six-week homestand, if you will, uh, for the Packers. But then after, when they go on the road to, to Atlanta, that kicks off four out of five on the road there. And then you, f- you finish, you know, three out of five at home to end the season and, you know, two out of three. But even more interesting than that is that your schedule is basically bookended by the NFC North. Yep. Because you have Jacksonville and Minnesota and Detroit to start. That's your first three games. And then you have the Bears week seven on Thursday night, and we're going to talk about that game in a second. And then you finish with Chicago, Minnesota, Detroit to end the season i mean this schedule is absolutely everywhere it's bonkers yeah it is is the craziest thing i think i've ever seen as far as scheduling goes and i don't know if there's a team that gets something like this every year because i don't you know i don't i don't look at other teams schedules closely enough to know if if somebody gets something this this bizarre um every season it just rotates around teams or what it is but no it's it's completely nuts yeah it's i think it's the first time that the packers have started with two road games in like 50 or 60 years (laughs) um and then yeah it's it's yeah you got five weeks where you've got to buy in four home games that it 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 just it makes no sense to me i actually like the idea of finishing out the season with three straight divisional games um I don't. I don't necessarily like it in the context of only my team doing it. I like it in the in the idea <laughs> that it would be cool if every yeah. schedule were built that way. Yeah, that, that would. I, I. You know what? I do actually like that idea for for everyone to kind of finish up that way. So you kind of you kind of have to run the gauntlet, and you really have to earn that division title right at the end of the season. So it it would be it would be a cool idea to see if you could pull off for for every team. Um, to, to do it that way i don't know you know I, I won't get into the schedule makers too much on on that but um but yeah it's it's really kind of frustrating to see the way this thing whole all, all shook out and um and yeah that there's that three that, that what four out of five games on the road with atlanta on the road then home for indy then at tennessee at washington at philly it's that's going to be an, a really interesting stretch between the end of october and through the, the month of november to watch because you know those are teams that that the Packers probably feel like they should beat and and they probably should but to to be on the road for for that long and that long a stretch it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to that yeah especially with the the back-to-back east coast home games now that's one of the advantages of being a midwest team is that you really for the most part don't have far to travel going either way but it still does kind of wear on a team especially if you have to you know, going from Tennessee, Tennessee, then back to Wisconsin, no big deal. But Tennessee to Washington, then home, and then back out to Philadelphia, which is even a little bit further uh, away. You know, it really can start to wear on you, especially if it's a back-to-back-to-back-to-back uh, thing uh, that they're doing. And then they get to come home to the Texans and the Seahawks 
after that three-game road stretch. So it's not like they're going to get much of a break. And then, as we talked about before, after those back-to-back home games, then they run the gauntlet with the NFC North to finish out uh, the year. So it's you know it doesn't really look like Green Bay is getting much of a break, even though statistically they have the easiest schedule in the NFL this year. Yeah, no, I think that's that's right on. And and I did look it up, and I mean the the longest trip that the Packers have is to Jacksonville in Week One. So if you're gonna you're gonna get your long one out of the way, um, it worked out well that we don't have any West Coast trips this year. Right. So so we're we're you know we're real glad about that. The farthest west that we actually go all season long is to Minnesota. Um, is that right? So that's 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 the farthest west wow. road game that we play all season long. Everything else is, uh, yeah, I think, every other uh, road game. Let's see, you've got Minnesota, Chicago, and Tennessee in the Central Time Zone. All the rest of them are on, on the East Coast. Yeah. So it, it'll be it'll be kind of crazy to watch. That's for sure. But um, you know, you, you'd think that with a, a, a advantageous travel um travel schedule just in terms of total distance that you're going and then yeah playing the afc south and uh, the nfc east which both had down years last year you yeah. think that that you'd be excited when that schedule comes out and i think everybody uh all the packers fans out there myself included were just kind of shocked when we saw the way it was scheduled out yeah i mean like on one hand it looks like you know they just kind of threw whatever at the wall and saw what stuck and then on the other hand it's like it really looks like they tried to make the easiest schedule in the nfl the most difficult for this particular team to try to take advantage of um with the way that they you know the four out of five on the road and and you know the the four straight home games with the earliest bye week they can possibly give them uh and everything else so i mean i just when i sat down just before we got started here and really looked at the schedule i was like wow this thing is all over the place man i mean it just really just doesn't make much sense to me how it was uh how it was constructed so i mean it was uh interesting to to actually sit down uh, and take a look at it like that so Thursday night game again for the Bears and the Packers and the reason that I want to bring it up is not because it's the you know return of the scene of the crime or anything like that that's actually the least of my concerns <laughs> the biggest concern that I have Evan I, I wonder if I know where you're going to go here yeah but go. um you know we, we've I think we have actually have talked about my 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 uniform snub problem yep. and yep. um the Bears and the Packers have two very old school, iconic, don't mess with these uniforms. And they're going to put our guys in the color rush scheme on Thursday night. And the, from the last, the last key that I saw has the Bears wearing navy from head to toe. So we almost, it's almost, it doesn't, it's not a good look, but it's almost like we got a pass on that. However, you guys get to wear yellow. Yeah, that's that's going to be unpleasant oh my god is it ever <laughs> I, mean, I mean the only the only color rush uniform i can think of that was a solid yellow or a solid gold was the rams last year when they had their ketchup and that, mustard bowl yeah exactly when they played tampa and, and it was yeah it was the the condiment bowl um but yeah that it, it's it's not going to be a good look it can't the only thing the only thing i think that we have to go on is a couple years ago they um they sold some like fashion jerseys that that were like a metallic gold um and i i if they go with a metallic look like that i i feel like that's almost better than doing just the solid bright yellow like the helmet um 
I, I, I don't know why I necessarily think that. I think just maybe because it's a little less bright and in your face. But, you know, the okay, we've got gold pants. That's not, you know, anything new. But to try to add a, you know, that, that yellow jersey on top of that, and then it, it's just not, I, I don't see any way that that's going to be a good look. And, and we're going to have to break out the eye bleach for that one. Hopefully only for the uniforms and not for the Packers offense, though. I mean, it's it's going to be hard to look at, man. I mean, it's it's really going to look like you have a bunch of, you know, you know, grimace from you know one of the McDonald's <laughs> characters, eleven grimaces against eleven giant chickens from Family Guy out there. I mean, it's it's not going to be a good look at all. And of course, it's going to be on national TV for the whole world to see. Of course. Well, hey, it, at least it's not going to be as bad as that Jets Bills game where everybody who was red green color <laughs> could tell the teams apart. So at least we're not going to have that issue, thank yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. And at least, at least it won't be like the the first color rush chart that I saw that had the Bears wearing all orange. I was just going to shoot myself Ooh. in the head. There's no way in hell I was going to watch that. That'd be rough. Oh, and my see, God. We've talked about it on, on Acme Packing Company about what color would be the best look for the Packers. And I think the general consensus would be that if we did a solid green, I can't tell you the last time the Packers wore green pants, if ever, but I think that would be a cool look if you did a solid green um, look with yellow numbers instead of the standard white numbers. And then you could do a couple things with the striping and, and everything. But that, I think, could be a, a cool look. But, um, you know, with the Packers having the yellow helmet and with, you know, everything's all about merchandising. So they've already got a white jersey. They've already got a green jersey. So where else are you going to go? Right. Um, it's, it's pretty much inevitable at this point what we're going to end up with. Yeah, so I'm 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 looking forward to the game. Uh, I'm 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 looking forward to watching it. I'm just not necessarily looking forward to looking at it. Yep. You know, I, I think it's going to, to be it. uh, it's going to be hard to to look at if if not watch. Hopefully, it's it's at at least as competitive as Thanksgiving night was. So uh, uh, that would be that would be fine. Uh, Win or lose, because it's a crapshoot either way. Going into into Lambo, just so long as we're in the game at the end, I think I'll be cool with it. So, uh, but uh, but we will see. And well, um, hey, maybe maybe we'll get a a repeat of the last time we played the Bears on a Thursday night that wasn't Thanksgiving, and we'll get a a cool special teams touchdown or something in a fake field goal. Yeah, there's there's that right after McCarthy calls a, an instant replay on the uh, on a twelfth man running off the field. And that's yeah. that's how you got that first down, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, really, really? That's how it happens. So, you know, and then yeah, you can have Jay Cutler punching his left tackle in the face on the field, and and things fun. like that. That was that was a good time. Yeah. That was good, you know. Yeah, that was that was fun times. Fun <laughs> times, guys. Fun times. So, but um, you know, because we are uh, you know division brethren, we got week seven. That's the Thursday night game. And then December eighteenth, we're the first of those of that three game NFC gauntlet to finish out the uh the season. So that's when we look forward to uh having you back on. I mean, week seven, that's the near the midway point. Uh we should have a lot of questions answered about our teams by that point in the season. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll be what? Uh yeah, five games in at that point after you know, having our stupid early bye week already. But um <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll have an idea how we stack up in the north for sure after, you know, Getting getting that Minnesota game and, and the first Detroit game out of the way, and on that Minnesota game, I just want to mention real quick. That's the one thing that the schedule makers did right for the Packers' schedule was was putting them as the first opponent for the Vikings in their new stadium. Yeah, in the season. 
that was right, and and they did it on Sunday night, so it's in prime time. It's on national TV. Good job there. Screw you guys on the rest of it. <laughs> it is a mess. It is absolutely uh, a mess. And you know, like I said, we we got the NFC East and the AFC South. A schedule either one of us would have killed for last year. And then, but you know, we get our hands on it this year. The AFC South they went out and did a lot of work on themselves. The NFC East just kind of waited for everyone to come back because a lot of injuries in the division last year. I mean, really, only the Giants went out and spent any kind of money. But it's like we're we're getting two semi-week divisions, and you know, the schedules that we're getting thrown at us are not not no one's really enjoying the schedules this year. So it's. Uh, We'll see how it all turns out, and we look forward to having you back in uh, in October to preview Week 7 on that Thursday night game and uh, see if we want to stab our eyes out when our teams take the field on uh, Thursday night in those awful color rush uniforms. <laughs> yep, that sounds good. We'll, uh, we'll plan on it at that point, and uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this will uh, go kind of like the first six weeks or so last season went for the Packers, at least in the final results. And I'm just going to hope that by week five, opposing defenses haven't figured out exactly the blueprint to, to shut down that Packers offense this time. All right. Well, we look forward to having you back. Evan Western, Acme Packing Company, previewing the 2016 Green Bay Packers. Thanks. Always a pleasure, and go Pack Go. You do that every time. Every time you do that. <laughs> I have to. It's, it's my signature, man. You know, I have the same feelings about Evan that I do about Jeremy Reisman. They're great guys. Would probably be wonderful friends with them if it weren't for the allegiances they share with the two teams that I hate more than any other in all of pro football in the Detroit Lions and the Green Bay Packers, respectively, uh, if you will. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Our next team that will finish up, the NFC North, the Minnesota Vikings. I don't want to say I have a sentimental attachment to them, but for at one point in time, you know, the Bears were one and the Vikings were one A because, as I've told you guys before, after Sweetness retired, my favorite player in the league was Warren Moon uh, of the Houston Oilers. Well, where did he go after he was done in Houston? He went to Minnesota and played for the Vikings. So I was cheering for my favorite player, even though he happened to be in the same division with my favorite team. So. Um, you know, at the, the, the same level of hatred for the Vikings doesn't exactly exist like it does for the Packers and the Lions. So there, there won't be any of that when we talk to uh, Chris Gates. So we'll have him on the show next Saturday. I will do my best to edit and get that show out on Saturday so that when we talk to Brian Perez, I can put that show out uh, pretty much immediately as we get ready for training camp. It'll be our last show before training camp. It'll be the last time that we talk to each other unless something earth shattering happens. It'll be the last time we talk to each other until I come back for the week one pre the preseason week one review for the Bears and the Broncos uh, when they kick off on August the 11th. So either like the 12th or the 13th, that Friday or Saturday is when the very first uh, preseason review uh, will come out. And, you know, <laughs> that'll probably be more about uh, the reserves that played in the second, third, and fourth quarters and, you know, what injuries or whatever that may have been suffered and, and whatnot than it will be about how awesome was this game kind of thing that very rarely happens uh, in the preseason. But, um, 
We'll have Chris on uh, next weekend. We'll get that one out as fast as humanly possible. Still arranging a time to talk to Brian, but he is committed to come on to the show. He'll be from BearsWire.com, which I think is is backed up by USA Today, which is exciting. And um, that'll be it. Then we have the preseason and the regular season. We get this thing underway, baby, and we get it done and see what 2016 is going to be for our beloved and the rest of the NFL. So uh, make sure you come back next Saturday or keep your eyes open uh, next Saturday for when I talk to Chris and get that show out, finish out the NFC North, and get ready for the Bears preview to close out this offseason and get ready for the main event. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.